I want to take you through uh, some topical highlights of Moses' life, um, sort of in chronological order, but not necessarily. And I, out of that, I want to pull out some practical, applicable steps that I think are relative to some of us, especially during this year, during this time that we're living in. I believe the Word of God will speak to some of that and some of the issues that we face. I want to start by looking at Moses' name. Moses' name. Now, when I think about him being named, those of you that know the story and the back, uh, the backstory and the history of Moses, know that um, he was born in a time where the Egyptians were murdering every uh, Hebrew baby that was born that was a male, and so when he was born, his parents hid him uh, until they could no longer hide him, and then they ultimately put him in the Nile River, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him. And when I look at his name and the story of him being named, it's kind of interesting because uh, Moses' birth mother was not allowed to name him. It was Pharaoh's daughter who named him. And his name speaks to that end. The name Moses means drawn out. Everybody say drawn out. And in this simple detail, we see a primary principle of Moses' life and of our lives. All of life is a drawing out process. Moses was drawn out of the water so that he could later draw the children of Israel out of Egypt. And all of his life in various stages and seasons, God was always drawing something out of him. And as it is with Moses, so it is with you. God is using the circumstances and situations that you are going through right now to draw something out of you. Moses was drawn out of the water in an instant, but then we don't see anything about him in the scripture for 40 years. It's a long time for the scripture to go silent on such a mammoth figure. But even that speaks to us because the reality is it is easier to draw the baby out of the water than it is to draw the leader out of the baby. It's easier to take the baby out of the Nile than it is to bring the man out of the baby. Or the same is true with a woman. You can pull a baby out of a woman almost instantly, but it may take 25, 30, 40 years to draw the woman out of the baby. A woman releases the baby a lot sooner than the baby will ultimately release and present to you a woman drawn out. You are somewhere on the divine timeline of God and God has ordered your steps and ordained your life and your circumstances so that at different seasons and various times during the journey of life, something will be drawn out of you. I believe God in his grace allowed us to go through this year because certain things have been drawn out of us this year. I didn't know I could fight so hard until I faced this year. But when I faced this year, the fighter was drawn out in me. Some of you didn't know you could have so much faith. And then when you were faced with so much opposition, the faith was drawn out of you. 
Some of you didn't think you could survive without certain people. In fact, certain people told you if they ever lost you, they'd fall apart. And then you watch them walk away and you're still here. And the survivor was drawn out of you. But the reality is it takes a lifetime for the full manifestation of your destiny and who you really are to be drawn out of you. And that's what, that's what Moses means. It means drawn out. And for a few moments, I just want to look at a couple of things in his life that I call the Moses model. And that's the title of the presentation today, the Moses model. Point number one we see in his life and from the text that we read, the text says he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And point number one is that education is ordained by God. Education is ordained by God. God arranged the circumstances of Moses' adoption partly so that he could be educated by the finest minds in the earth. Okay. The Egyptians were brilliant, and we are still studying their pyramids and some of their formulas. And God, if you, if you look at it knowing the backstory, God is raising up who Jesus would call the greatest prophet, the greatest pastor in the Old Testament. And God is raising him up. But God did not want his leader to be uneducated. So God allows the daughter of the king to find Moses in the Nile River and adopt him and love him as her own, partly so he could be given the best education possible. He had the world's brightest minds at his fingertips so that he could learn and be educated. And Moses was trained. He was adopted into the royal family, and therefore he was trained to be a king, trained to learn, to learn how to build a nation and lead a nation because that was part of his destiny. God knew what he would need in his future, so God sowed the education into his mind and ordained the education into his mind that he would ultimately need. Now, education has two phases. One that is forced on you. You know, in America, they make you go to school. And uh, if you don't send your kids to school, they'll come visit you, knock on your door and, and ask you why you're not sending your kids to school. You have to send your kids to school. Education is forced on you when you are young. But then you get to a transition point. The second phase of education comes when it is forced by you. So for 40 years, Moses had education forced on him in Egypt. But then, if you know the story, after he murdered the Egyptian who was afflicting the Hebrew, he had to flee to the wilderness. And when he gets to the wilderness, he's educated for the palace. He knows the protocols of the palace, but the city boy don't know nothing about the wilderness. He doesn't know what plants you can eat from and what berries are poisonous and what isn't. He doesn't know where to go, how to operate, how to exist in a new environment. And so he forces education on himself. He forces himself how to learn and how to operate and how to navigate in a new environment. And I'm telling you, some of the places God is going to take you in your life, you are going to have to force education on yourself in pivotal seasons and in pivotal ways. And I want to tell you, like Moses, you've got the best teachers in the world at your fingertips. You do not have to go and enroll in college. And if you're going that route, that's great. I recommend it. 
but you do not have to go and enroll in college in order to get educated. We got the world's brightest mind that are writing books. I knew you would shout about this. We got the world's brightest mind that are doing podcasts and leadership courses. In fact, any field that you want to go into, there's a free online masterclass being taught about it right now. And while you're sitting watching the Real Housewives or whatever, you could be educating yourself, forcing yourself to a higher level. Because when God brings you into a new environment that you have not been previously exposed to, you are going to need a new education. So go through the first phase when it's forced on you, but then make sure you take the second phase and force it upon yourself. Read something, study something, whatever field you're in or whatever field you want to go in. If you're managing anybody, read some books on management. If you have your own company, there's just a litany of stuff out there that you can read up on. If you want to start a business, there's a ton of classes and courses and things that you can take. And most of it is free. And most of the reason people do not have it is because they are lazy. It's not a lack of money. It's not a lack of availability. It is an attitude of laziness. Look at somebody and say, don't be lazy. Educate yourself. In fact, elbow three people and say, read, 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 read. <laughs> so Moses forces education on himself and he learns in the wilderness. So now he's the kind of man God can use to an optimum level. Because if he's in the palace, he knows the protocol. He's not daft in the board meeting. He's not out of his depth when he's in a board meeting or when he's in a council meeting or when he has to walk into the palace. When he walked into the palace to tell Pharaoh, hey, God said to let my people go, he knew how to walk in. He knew how to get an audience. He knew the protocols of approach. You can't just walk up to a great leader like Pharaoh any old kind of way. There's a way you have to approach. Moses knew how to do it because he was educated in the house. And he was educated in the house because God... God ordained the education. But when Moses got the people into the wilderness, he knew exactly where to lead them. He knew around that tree is a box canyon, and behind that canyon there's a brook that we can drink from, and the waters are not contaminated. No matter where he went, left or right, this way or that, he was educated so that God didn't have to stop to train him on the fly or train him on the run. If you're really going to run in the blessing and the favor and the things of God, you need to be prepared for the appointment. Don't get to the appointment and then try to get paired up to it. You need to be prepared for the appointment. This is a word from God to somebody. And I may not be running the aisles and tossing oil on your head, but this is an anointed word from God. You need to educate yourself because where God is about to take you, there won't be time for you to develop. Once the door opens, you need to get it in now. You need to read the stuff now. Take the courses now. Take the classes now. Look into retirement now. Look into investment now. You say, I ain't got no money to invest. Well, what if God blesses you like you've been praying and asking him to? What are you going to do with it? Go buy something or are you going to do something wise with it? Because you invested in education. It's ordained by God. Point number two, lean in to your experience with God. Look at somebody and say, lean in to your experience with God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 and 4. Look at this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire 
in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Verse three, then Moses said, I will now turn aside. Read that little part with me. I will now turn aside. Read it like you went to Starbucks before you came to church and you're not tired and sleepy and groggy. I will now turn aside. I will now turn aside to look. And God called to him from the bush. Oh, look, look at verse four. When the Lord saw, when the Lord saw, that he turned aside to look. That's when God called to him from the midst of the bush. So there's already something amazing and supernatural happening. This bush is on fire. The presence of God is there. In fact, the presence of God is why the bush is on fire. And it's an amazing thing. The ground is, is holy. We'll find that out later. But, but Moses is walking by and he said, I will turn aside to look. And that word turn aside there in the Hebrew means to lean in to get closer, to inspect, to get a closer look at it. And when God saw him lean in to that moment, when God saw him get closer and, and turn aside to look and go closer and inspect it, then God took the relationship to another level and began to talk to him about himself. And the point of this is, there are times as a believer, and you know, the, the truth of the matter is they can be rare, but there are times as a believer, you know, there's times when you're reading your Bible and you're just reading, you know, not much is happening. You don't feel much, not much going on. You're just reading. There are other times when you're reading and it feels like the words are slapping you from the page, just hitting you, just getting you. There are times you're just sitting there reading the Bible and tears start falling down your face and you feel the presence of the Lord. Or there's times when you're having devotion, you're just worshiping the Lord in your car on the way to work. And sometimes you're just listening to a song, you know, but sometimes that song, there's like something on that song. You just ha you have your car fill up with this presence and it's beautiful. And the point is when you get those moments and those experiences. You know, there's times in your prayer time, you know, you're just talking. There's other times when you're praying and you just feel the force of it. And it's easy to pray that prayer isn't laborious. It just starts pouring out of you and, and you're communing with God. When you get those times, lean in, get closer, stop and take notice and fully invest in those, you know, in those times where you feel that don't leave until it lifts. I've been in services when the service was over and I just go and sit down and just wait and not leave until it lifts. I, I, I don't want to leave before you. You know, if when you leave, then then I'll leave. Don't leave before it lifts. Lean into those experiences with God. And the reason why this is important, there were a lot of times during Moses journey leading the children of Israel that his passion and motivation to lead them left. And the truth of the matter is, there are times in your life during your journey that the passion and motivation to do what you're called to do leaves you. 
And when you, we won't talk about it. People don't testify. Hey, I lost all my joy and my passion and my motivation. But, but the truth is it happens. It happens to the best of us, the best of us. We can be called, we can be anointed, we can be educated and we can be doing what we're supposed to do, but no longer feel the inward energy and push to keep on doing it. Sometimes you don't feel like being a leader. Sometimes you don't feel like being a husband. Sometimes you don't feel like being a mama. So, I mean, you, you, you love them, but you just don't want to see them right now because all the inner motivation all the inner energy has been sapped out of you. Energy is a limited resource. And there were many times when Moses got so low with his motivation and his energy for leading the people that on multiple occasions, Moses said, God, would you just kill me? He got suicidal in his calling because he had no inner motivation anymore, no inner joy, no inner push. But in those times, he would always go back to his experience with God to the experiences that he leaned to, that he leaned in to get a closer look. When he would feel that way, when he would feel totally depleted, he would go back to when he was standing there at the burning bush. He would go back to when God came down on the mountain and gave it the law. He would go back to that time where God put him in the cleft of the rock and allowed his presence and his hinder parts to walk by. He would go back to those few experiences with God that he had leaned into. And I'm telling you, something will hit you in your joy center, in your emotional center, in your center where you draw all of your inner energy from. And if you don't have an experience with God to fall back on, you will not accomplish, you won't have the stamina to, to accomplish everything God has in store for you. But if you will lean into your experience with, with God, there will be a force and a fuel and a reserve that when everything in your life gives out, you can tap into that and keep on going. You can tap into, I've had an experience with God. Now, I know everybody won't clap with me because there's just a few of us that have had a real experience with God. But come hell or high water, nobody will ever be able to talk you out of what you experienced with God. And it doesn't matter how bad life gets. It doesn't matter who leaves you or who dies or who forsakes you. Your soul is never completely cast down because no matter how bad it gets, you can always go back to the experience. He leaned into his experience with God. Then point number three. This is a big one. This is a big one for where we're living right now. Point number three. Listen up. If you ain't heard nothing I've said, listen to this. Point number three. Never value principles over people. Never. Never value principles above and over people. In Numbers 27, 1 through 7. I don't have time to read it. They'll put it on the screen. You can go back and, and fact check me if you want to. See if I'm right or wrong. The daughters of a man named Zelophehad, okay, they came to Pastor Moses with a major divisive political issue. All right? The whole nation was divided over it. The principle of the day the protocol of the day, the social norm of the day is that if a man had only daughters and no son, when he died, his estate, his inheritance, all of his money would skip the daughters and go to the closest living male heir. Okay. So when a wealthy man would die, all of the male uh, uh, family members 
would get real excited if he only had daughters because they knew that the law and the principles of the day would cut the daughters out and that the male living closest male heirs would receive the man's inheritance. Well, this guy Zalafa had, he was wealthy. He was rich. Okay. And so, and you're talking about back in these Bible days, a very primitive society that was not kind to women anyway. Okay. And so the daughters have the nerve to come to Moses and raise this issue. And it started getting political clout among the people and the people got divided over it. And the daughter said, this principle is not right. We should, we should be able to have the inheritance of our father. And it divided the nation. Everyone was up in arms over it. There was a left side and a right side. And they were arguing about it and calling each other names and demonizing each other over the position that one or the other took. But nobody had bothered to ask God what he thought about it. So Moses, feeling the heat from both sides, we ought to do this. We ought to stay with what the social norm has been. And then the other side saying, no, it's time for reform. It's time for us to get treated better and more fairly. Moses took all this pressure and he went into the tabernacle with it. And he laid on his face and he asked God about it. And God answered him and said, the women are right. Give them their father's inheritance. That's one of six times in the scripture where the scripture says the women were right. I thought you'd be more excited, ladies. The women were right. The Bible said it. The Bible said it. The women. Why? Why was Moses able to find this nugget of revelation why, why was Moses able to get God to speak to a national political issue? Because he didn't value principles over people. Now, um, we're being force-fed a diet of divisive politics right now. Political principles. And many of you, God bless your heart, have resulted to valuing the principles over people. And in doing so, you've lost the heart of God. You have demonized your brothers and sisters because they adopt different political principles as you. One of you said in ignorance last week on your social media page, that you cannot be a Christian and vote for XYZ. Ladies and gentlemen, you have never been, nor will you ever be, the judge of if someone is a Christian. There is one judge. There is one Father. There is one God above us all and in us all and through us all. And that is not your position to say, but when people start valuing principles above people, they start saying ignorant things. You, you could take a person with an otherwise very bright mind and just reduce them to a blithering idiot. When they start valuing principles over people, that is not of God. Okay. That is not of God. When you take when you take principles and you make them the battlefield that you live and you die on, 
even when it comes down to the simple commandment of Jesus to love your neighbor. It, it's, it's something that is causing our nation and particularly the Christians. To, to really poison our ability to be a future witness to someone. I don't know about you. I want to preach to everybody. I want to preach to everybody. I want to tell everybody about Jesus. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how you vote. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your tax position is. I don't care. I want to, I want to preach to you about Jesus. And that should be the heart of sons and daughters of Christ in the earth. Never valuing principles above people. Now, let's look at God. What did God do when he had a conflict between his principles and his people? Understand this. The law of God was perfect. The only problem with the law is it revealed all too perfectly how imperfect we are. It's like that's the problem with a speed limit. The speed limit is posted not to keep you from speeding, but to allow you and the officer to see just how bad you were violating the law that was written. You understand? Law of God was the same thing. The law of God did not come to make them perfect. It came to make them realize how imperfect they were. So we had a problem. God loved us, the people, but there was a law against us, a perfect and pure law that said guilty, 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 guilty. And the law became an offense to us. But Colossians 2.14, this is what God did with it. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. This is what God did when he had a conflict between principles and people. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When God had a conflict between people and principles, he took the principles and nailed them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons you are saved today with your guilty self, with your not living right self, with your broken self, one of the reasons you can stand pure and holy before God is because God has never valued principles more than he values people. And then finally, number four, if you have been blessed, are there any blessed people in the house this morning? I mean blessed even though there's been a pandemic. I mean blessed even though there's been a recession. I mean blessed even though there's been trouble all around. Are there any blessed people in the house? Are there any blessed people? You've been threatened, but you've been blessed. You had some trouble, but you've been blessed. You've had some trials, but you're still blessed. Number four, hallelujah, glory to God. We give you praise for your blessing. You blessed us anyway. The world told us we were going to fall apart, but you blessed us anyway. You raised us up anyway. You didn't allow it to hit us anyway. You kept our families anyway. You kept us secure anyway. People falling right and left, but you held us up. We thank you, God, for your blessing. Moses teaches us 
if you have been blessed, then be a blessing. If you have been blessed, oh yeah, don't preach, Jason, you're supposed to teach today. If you have been blessed, I'm sorry, I'm just walking around thinking about how blessed I am. I'm walking around thinking about all the many times I got myself into the mud, the muck and the mire of this crazy world we're living in. And just when I needed him to, God came and pulled me out of it through no assistance or help of my own. He has blessed me. Pull me out. Pull me out. You said you were blessed because you got a new watch on your hand. You can't judge my blessing by my watch. All you have to do to see how blessed I am is track my trouble. Track how much mess I've been in. Track how many times my foot was caught in the trap. Track how many times I didn't deserve it, but he blessed me anyway. Are there any blessed people? I don't know about you, but he blessed me. Oh, he blessed me. Oh, he blessed me. Oh, he blessed my family. Oh, he blessed my children. He's blessed me. Let the blessed people put their hands together, lift up their voice and shout, thanks be to God for his blessing. blessed been in trouble but I'm still blessed had to cry sometimes but I'm still blessed been threatened by a lot of people but I'm still blessed you know it's an amazing thing to say you can say I'm still blessed it's an amazing thing to look back over your shoulder and look at all the times you thought it was gonna wipe you out but consistently time after time after time after time after time after time God stepped in it and blessed The church, the church consultant company that we have worked with in the past, they handle insurance, legal systems, all the kind of policy like. You know what they were suggesting to churches, including ours, when all this mess hit? They said, y'all ain't going to be able to have church for six months. So this is what we suggest. We suggest you take out an equity line of credit on your building. Borrow everything your building is worth to a bank. And the problem with that was we were debt free. And, and, and it ain't easy to get debt free. And now a storm comes along in the nation and they say, the only way you're going to survive this is if you trade in your debt free status and you take a loan against your building, turn the ownership deed of your building back over to the bank and pay for it again. If not, you're not going to have a church at the end of this thing because they're not going to let you gather. The people are going to be too scared to come. Nobody's going to show up if you do open your doors. Nobody's going to give in an economy that is falling. The best thing you can do is go to your bank, get down on your knees and hope they will give you an equity line of credit against your property. But the devil is a liar. 
I said the devil is a liar. When all hell broke loose and the enemy rolled in like a flood, God stepped in once again and he blessed. I said he blessed. I said he blessed. If you've been blessed in some way, shape, or form during the last six months of this pandemic, I dare you to give God a praise. If God did something special, something unique, something you weren't expecting, I dare you to stand here with your blessed self and praise Him. Devil is a liar. showed off during the pandemic my God started doing crazy things he started sending strange blessings he he started using strange people he started opening up strange doors he he started using people that would have never given people like me anything six months and work from your couch who would ever thought the government would start sending you money who would have ever thought and so Moses life reveals that blessed people bless people God started blessing Moses the day he was born babies in the hut on the left and the right were killed that day when they were born but Moses was hidden sometimes one of the most beautiful blessings from God is when he hides you There's predators looking for you. 
You know, there's predators walking by asking you for your phone number. There's predators walking by that, that if you got connected and joined with them, your whole life would go down the drain. And sometimes you felt overlooked. It's not that you've been overlooked. Sometimes you felt like you weren't bright and shining because you didn't get all the attention. It's not that you weren't bright and shining. It's that God in his mercy knew when to hide you. Elbow somebody and say, I'm blessed. So God hit him. Then, then his mama put him in the Nile River when they could hide him no more. And, and he was floating by the alligators and the crocodiles and the poisonous snakes. Anybody ever float through something that should have killed you? I mean, you went right past it. It was right next to you. It was right by you. It was bigger than you and stronger than you and threatening you. But somehow what you floated by couldn't destroy you. You know why? Because you are. And then... God favored him to where his little basket floated by while the king's daughter was taking a bath in the river. And the right person at the right place, hallelujah, at the right time. How many times have you as a believer seen the same thing come to pass where you met the right person at the right place at the right time and you knew it wasn't some serendipitous moment it was the favor of God on your life because you are he was blessed in his education he was blessed in the way he grew up and then he was even blessed in the wilderness and what I love what I love about Moses is Moses he got so frustrated with these people y'all because no matter what God did for these people, you know, God's parting the Red Sea and they're walking, you know, by and God's raining down bread in the morning out of out of heaven and blowing quail in in the evening. They're, they're hitting rocks with sticks and water's coming out. Amazing things. And yet these people still would not stop complaining. And there's nothing more draining than people complaining. When you're a leader, whether you're leading a company, whether you're leading a home, whatever you're leading, when people come in and start complaining, it will train the ever-loving life out of you. But Moses is one leader in charge of a million and a half complainers. A million and a half complainers means a million and a half complaints. And as a result of their complaining, the Bible says that God allowed all of the first generation to die in the wilderness, but he kept Moses alive and he told Moses to lead their kids into the promised land. So now you've got an elderly man leading teenagers. Let me tell you something. Children are for the young. Okay. I wish I would have had my two kids 10 years sooner because I'm only 37. I shouldn't be wearing this then, but my little kids are driving me crazy. I got a five-year-old or a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And sometimes at the end of the day, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just need something. I, I, don't, I don't know what I need. I just I need something. 
I'm looking through the medicine cabinet, just trying to find something, something. <laughs> but Moses, Moses ain't 37. Moses is elderly dealing with teenage problems, dealing with teenage complainers. Have you ever had a teenage complainer? You know what Moses said about him, Pastor John? Moses said, their fathers ate sour grapes and set their teeth on edge. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, you're nasty because your mom and daddy was nasty. You're a complainer because your mom and daddy was complaining. And I had to sit here and listen to your mom and daddy complain for 40 years. And now I got to listen to you complain for 40 years. Moses was pushed to his absolute limit, and they pushed him so far, they eventually caused him to miss out on the promised land. God didn't allow Moses to go, because you can only take so much frustration before you break, and Moses finally broke. They were complaining because they had no water. God told Moses to speak to the rock. He had struck it before 40 years, you know, back with their mama and daddy, he struck it. And this time he said, speak to the rock. And Moses got so angry with their complaint that he took the rod and he struck it because sometimes it just helps to hit something. Oh, look at me like you ain't never gone through and hit nothing because you had some frustration. You punched a wall, you slammed a door, you threw a phone, you threw a remote bunch of liars up in the church. Look at y'all all judgmental like you ain't never thrown nothing to get out some frustration. Moses so frustrated he takes the rod and just strikes the rod. And, and because he disobeyed God, God wouldn't allow him to go in. But the reason he disobeyed God is he was so frustrated because of these crazy kids he's trying to lead. But the last Thing. You know, if it was me on my deathbed, they all gathered around me, I'd say, to hell with y'all, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Leave the church if you want to. I don't care. I've been through too much. To hell with y'all, I'm going to heaven. But Moses is on his deathbed. He's about to die. And in Deuteronomy 33.1, look at what he does. Look at the last thing this man of God does. Deuteronomy 33, I want you to see it, 33.1. Now this is, come on, y'all find it. I don't want to read until y'all get it. Well, y'all just have to trust me. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Folks, all of his life, you know, he's feeding them. He's causing, he's causing uh, provisions. He's, he's praying for them when they won't pray for themselves. You know, sometimes you need a Moses who can pray for you when you're too rebellious to pray. He's covering them. He's interceding for them. He's doing everything for them. He's sick of them. You know, anytime somebody leans on you real heavy, you may love them, but you get You know, I hurt my leg a few weeks ago, and I didn't want you to see it. So I was, I was leaning on the pulpit, you know, 
was just leaning on it. I was putting the weight that would be on my leg. I was putting it on the pulpit. Or I was standing like this and kind of holding and kind of lifting one leg up, you know, leaning on it. Because anytime you're injured and you're not stable, you have to shift your weight to another object to keep your balance. And sometimes it's not that you've fallen out of love with the people around you. Sometimes it's they are so injured and broken, they've been putting too much weight on you to keep their balance. So you got to hold up your weight and theirs too. And I don't care how full of love you are in your heart. You can only bear up under your weight and another person's weight for so long before things start to crack. It may not be time to go to the divorce court. It may be time to fix the thing that's broken that's keeping your partner putting so much weight on you. Now whoever that was for, you can message me in private. I felt that. But the last thing he does, right? The last thing he does in an exhausted state, looking at the reason, looking at all the faces that are the reason he doesn't get to go into what he has journeyed 80 years for. Looking at the reason he didn't get the one thing that kept him going through the years in the wilderness. He's looking at the reasons. And he extends his hands. And he blesses them. Because blessed people. Bless people. I don't know if you know or have ever, I don't know if you know in person, you may know of, but you may not know in person, a single individual more blessed than me. Six years ago, when my son came home from the hospital after staying six months in the neonatal ICU, having experimental trial surgeries, experimental drugs and brain surgery and every experimental medication and some of these medications are five and seven thousand dollars a pop after six months of that I brought him home thankful that he was alive but I was three million dollars in debt I don't know if you've ever been three million dollars in debt it's an interesting feeling there's a level of debt that you can get in that you can actually taste. There's a taste in your mouth that comes when you get in a certain level of debt. And credit card bills started piling up. We were trying to send payments on this thing. And we reached out to all these companies that supposedly help people that are in serious um, disadvantage when they go to the hospital because the condition's so bad. Everybody turned us down. Nobody would help us. And we were struggling so bad, so bad. Thankful for that he's alive, sitting there on the front row, but, but we, were, we were struggling. And I started preaching about the blessing of God and study. I, I had to study it because I had to preach it. And I started studying and filling my heart and my spirit full of the content about the blessing of God. 
And I begin to release my faith for the blessing of God. And over a 14-day period while I was in this study that, that I was doing about the blessing of God, God started wiping debt off me supernaturally $1 million at a time. The first million came off, you know, and you would, you would think you would shout about a million dollars of debt being cleared up, and you would unless you had two more million to go. Then the second million, God just wiped it off. The company that said they would not help us three times, they called us this time. And they said, we don't know why. Your name came to the top of the list, and we're going to help you. And that third million just was wiped. I don't know if you ever got a $3 million miracle. I got a $3 million miracle in 14 days. And not only my son healthy, put my credit not destroyed and my future not put in the hole in a tank that I could never rise out of. When I say I'm blessed, folks, he's been good to me. He's been good to me. Wasn't nothing I did. Wasn't nothing I said. It's just the blessing of God. And so six years ago, I was walking around my apartment and, and thanking God and crying and praying and the thought the thought rose up in my heart what David prayed when David said after God had delivered him and blessed him and strengthened him David started walking around praying he said what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits to me and he said three things he said I will take up the cup of salvation I will call on the name of the Lord and number three he said I'll pay my vows and I made a lot of vows to God when my son was in the hospital and they said he would never recover. And, and, and one of the things that just struck me as I was teaching that series about the blessing is this last point I use today. Blessed people bless people. God told Abraham when he blessed him, he said, I will bless you. But then he said, to be a blessing to other people. In other words, I'm going to bless you if you will allow my blessing to flow through you. And that's, that's, that, that hit me hard. So I started to pray and I started to seek the Lord for vision because I said, I cannot receive a, a $3 million blessing and a blessing of a healthy son. I can't receive that and not offer something back to the Lord. So I started to pray and the Lord gave me a vision and a dream of BlessFest. All you know about BlessFest? Have you ever been to BlessFest? The heart of the event was to have a, a large community gathering where we fed everybody and then, you know, had a, had a great atmosphere of, of things for kids to do and, and things for us to fellowship and gather and invite the community, whether they attend the church or not, and bless them. And, but then it was to, it was to give someone that doesn't have a vehicle, a car every year. And every year for the last six years, we've done that. And we haven't given away six cars. We've given away 10 cars in six years. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? I just think that's amazing. That's amazing that we've given away 10 cars. And because um, the thing I said to the Lord is I want to I do something that can change the trajectory of someone's life. 
And you know, some people, they don't want to hand out. They just need a hand up. They just need a little help. And if somebody has the will and the drive and the tenacity, but, but they don't have a vehicle, they, they can be limited. And uh, we've seen this Bless Fest car giveaway done. We've seen it do amazing things. People have actually, that attend this church, I'm not going to embarrass them, but they attend this church. They actually started their business the moment they got a vehicle, and they are doing incredible today. In fact, they're blessing people today as a result. And then, and then at the event, I wanted the church to help with six months of rent relief for a family that needed it. And to have six months of, of those living expenses tied to rent, to have that suspended and give you an opportunity to recover, that's an amazing thing. It can change the trajectory. I mean, what would you do with six months of, of rent relief, you know? And uh, so the Lord just, he, he put that on my heart. And what we do every year is we ask people to send us their story, email a story, nominate someone. They, they do need to attend the church, but you can either nominate yourself or nominate someone. Our, our elders and staff go through it, and, and, and then we bring a big raffle bin out here, and, and Pastor John raffles it, and, and we select the winners. And, and uh, it's been a tremendous blessing for six years. Uh, in six years... In six years, I gave the stat wrong in, uh, in Mantle. In six years, we've given away over 10 years of rent relief. You know, six months at a time. Six months per family. Over 10 years worth. Now, you patty caking, but if it was your rent, you'd be shouting and dancing and thanking God and saying, what a blessing. That's amazing. And we did that as a church. Amazing. And everything this year, I mean from the start, everything this year pointed to us and said, We're, you're not going to be able to do it this year. And just in my spirit, I screamed, yes, we are. So I'm here to announce today that bless people, bless people. And on Sunday, November the 1st, we are having Bless Fest. We're going to bless this church, bless this community, bless some people, change some lives. And it's all going to be done for the glory of the name of Jesus. And I want you to be a part of it. So, so this is what, this is what I want to encourage you to do. If you want to nominate yourself or someone for either the vehicle or the rent relief, they do need to attend this church. Uh, share your story at christianworldsa at gmail.com. You take a picture of the screen, just zoom in on that bottom uh, left corner or some of your right corner, but anyway, zoom in on that, take a picture, send us your story, nominate someone and or yourself. And on November the 1st, somebody's walking out of here with a car for free. And somebody's walking out with rent relief and there's a whole bunch of other things that our staff has added to this and put into this that just make it an incredible event. Uh, a lot of people are going to be getting a lot of amazing things, and we'll, we'll tell you some more about it as we get closer. But communicate with us, christianworldsa at gmail.com. And, and the next thing I want to encourage you to do, if you can, because bless people, bless people, is help us make this event bigger than ever. Every year, the budget has grown. This is the most expensive event that our church puts on all year. No, nobody donates the car. We go and buy the car. And we make sure it's in good condition. We have it inspected by a mechanic. It's, it's a real transaction. We, we don't have a deal with Chevy and them just give us a car. You know, We go and purchase it. 
and, um, and, and no government organization helps us with the rent relief. That's, it's all, it all comes out of the church, the church alone. And so your giving and your support of an event like this makes tremendous difference. And I, I wanna, I'm so proud and so thankful for our elders and our, our leaders in Mantle. The, the leadership team of this church already bit off a huge chunk of the budget and took care of it this morning in our early service. But I wanna give you, I, I don't, especially those of you who haven't come for a, a long time, don't hear what I'm not saying, but, but I am very careful about putting large challenges in front of you. Maybe only once or twice a year will I do that because everybody's not at the same level. Everybody's not at the same level of understanding or experience with church. And I don't ever want you to get put off by something that, that I challenge you with. But I'm challenging you with this today because I believe in the ground of Blessfest. I believe it's special soil. I believe it was birthed out of a miracle. I know it was birthed out of a miracle. And I believe if you'll sow sacrificially into it to thank God for his blessing over your life, I believe he'll release more over on top of you if you'll sow. So I want to challenge you. I, I challenged our leaders this morning to give a $250 seed, a donation, into helping to make this event happen. We're going to feed everybody that comes on the parking lot. We're going to bless people with gift cards and gas cards and grocery cards. And then obviously the big things, the car and the rent relief. But we can do so much more if you will open the generosity of your heart. And so I, I want to challenge you to help me with a $250 seed, if you would. If you're in Mantle or you're a leader, I'm not talking to you. I already talked to you in the first service, so don't feel compelled on this. But I want to challenge the broader membership of our church and those watching online. Help us do Bless Fest and help us do it right. Help us make it incredible for this community and for the people around here and for our church. And if you don't have $250, get as close as you can. If you could give $100 or $75, anything you give is going to be significant. But significant giving, sacrificial giving towards this effort makes so much difference in the lives of people. And blessed people, blessed people. Let's say it again. Blessed people, blessed people. Let's take care of Bless Fest. Stand to your feet. Father, in the name of Jesus, as people are making their decision as to what to give, I ask that you would speak to their heart. I ask that you would encourage them. I ask that you would bless them as they give, Father. And Lord, we pray that your blessing would overtake them, that your blessing would go before them, that your blessing would open doors for them and make ways for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. We love you so much.